this afternoon, I want to talk about joy um, because, you know, with all the chaos that's going on in the world right now, it's really important to remember that there is joy. And, you know, there's a lot of chaos right now. It's front and center, but there's always a lot of chaos. There's always a lot of chaos. There's always a lot of greed and hatred and delusion at work. I mean, we've got Ukraine happening and all the other really challenging moments um, in our own country, all the crazy laws that are being enacted, you know, um, robbing so many people of their rights. And uh, But there's, you know, I'm, I, Syria is still a mess. There's been a civil war in Yemen for I don't know how many years. Um, you know, all this stuff, the war in Somalia, civil wars in a lot of places, all the horror that's going on in Myanmar and Sri Lanka. And, and so to, it's so easy to get um, caught up in that and that we, we lose perspective. And also there's this idea that um, how can I have joy in my life with all this other stuff going on? That would be so selfish, so... Um, whatever, um, whatever you want to call it, that we think, um, how can I be joyful with all this hate and violence and suffering and sorrow and sadness? And, and that's a denial of reality, but it's a very easy place to go. I hear it. I've done it myself. Um, I hear people talk about that all the time. And so to recognize that and to actually recognize that it is important to see the joy that is present and to actually cultivate it. In fact, Bhikkhu Bodhi said it's important to regulate despair because if we don't pay attention to the joy, to the happiness that, that, is, that can be present in our lives on a daily basis, we can slip so easily into despair. And that's not wise, that's not skillful. And so I want to talk about joy. And joy is mentioned in the texts, in the suttas. It's actually an important part of the Buddha's teachings. In fact, joy is one of the seven awakening factors, uh, is the things that are necessary. That's seven, let me give you seven fingers. But one of the things that's necessary for awakening is joy. Pitti often translated as rapture, but joy as well as is a is an understanding of this so that should give us an idea or a clue that that it's really important um and the seven factors of awakening are in the um in the fourth foundation of mindfulness which are the awareness of the mindfulness of the dhammas which is you know the Four Noble Truths and the aggregates, but the two main ones or two important ones are the hindrances and the awakening factors. The hindrances get in the way of the awakening factors. And when the hindrances are gone, we allow the awakening factors to blossom. And the hindrances, hatred, greed, you know, uh, aversion, craving, clinging, restlessness, worry, dullness, torpor, that, that distraction, that, that just kind of numbing, and doubt. So those things are where our minds go. You, we meet them in meditation. We meet them walking around. And so when those are gone, you allow the awakening factors to uh, uh, arise. And so it's talked about in a really foundational teaching. Um, 
it's an it's an, yeah and um and if you think about it if there's no hatred there's no anger there's no craving because craving isn't just wanting something craving is i have to have something so there's that uncomfortable there's that dissatisfactory feeling to it so if that's not present we have to recognize what is present which is this sense of ease which is the sense of contentedness which is this sense of calm and tranquility the seven awakening factors let me just let you know what they are mindfulness underlies them and then you have investigation. What's what's present? And noticing that the uh, awakening factors are not present. or um, And then there's effort, which is this, this effort to keep them at abeyance, recognizing when there's desire coming up or hatred and, and making the effort to let go. That's what we practice in meditation. We're practicing this establishment of mindfulness. And then what happens when there's ease, when there's no... Um, challenges there's the joy there's a joy it's an excuse me an essential aspect of the teaching bhikkhu analio is monk i um i think very highly of uh talks about that he said it's a key part of the teachings and when the hindrances are subdued joy arises and i think an important point to bring out is that in the early buddhist texts Joy and happiness are not dependent on pleasant, which is sometimes what we think it has to, happiness means, you know, parties and dancing and, and all these exciting things and yay, jumping up and down. But that's not what it necessarily means. It doesn't have to be pleasant. I can have a pain in my arm. I can have sadness in my life. I can have loss. I can have uh, challenging experiences and still have this sense of ease, still have this sense of joy. If you, I, I bet you each have an experience like that. I know I have had an experience like that. I've talked about it many times where when my brother passed away many years ago and we had his funeral and, and, and a few hours later we were all sitting in the backyard laughing and, and telling stories and and it was real clear to me that there was this great loss in my life, but there was also this joy that was present. And to, uh, that didn't negate, I, I go, am I a bad sister? It's like, no, you have to be present with what's there. And so allowing the joy to be there, um, because there was e the mind was at ease. I wasn't like, oh, I want him back, or this is terrible, I hate this. It was like being in the present moment. And so it doesn't have to be pleasant to be joy to have this contentment. Um, sometimes we have ideas of what joy means or whatever, and so this is pointing in a different direction. This is pointing to a little bit of a different experience. In the uh, in the Anapanasati Sutta, which is another text, it's a more sophisticated. It's kind of a sophisticated meditation progress uh, process. It's again there's a there's a a calling to joy and a recognition that when the hindrances are gone, when we're not caught in wanting or not wanting, there's this ease, there's this comfort. So I bet if you, that's what I was saying, if you recollect in your own life a moment when it didn't have to be, you know, wee, happiness, yay, party time, but there was just this um, place of 
of calm where you didn't want and you did not want. Maybe you were just like kind of, I said, the common terminology, although it's not necessarily accurate, would be zenning out. <laughs> like, you know, oh, I'm totally zen. It's like you're just kind of mellow. Um, the Buddha talks about when he was a young boy watching his father. Um, I can't remember if it was doing, in some kind of festival where they were doing some kind of procession. And he was just like at ease. And there was a joy that arose. Uh, talking about cats, I remember watching my old girl in the backyard playing in the grass. And I just, I was, I had so much to do at that point in time. I was getting ready to go on a really long trip. Um, and I was running, 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 and I stopped. And I just watched her. And everything dropped away. And there was just this sense of ease and, and, and a little bit of joy. Because it was like, oh, I am, I am right here, right now. That recognition that I was right here, right now, is a joyful experience. I didn't have to have a particular outcome to have that joyful experience. And then also in the suttas, it talks about um, in the Brahma Viharas, in the early Buddhist teachings on the, on the heart practices, loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, equanimity, um, the, the traditional stuff that we uh, think about with uh, the hard practices where you say the phrases and you think about particular groups of people, that's later, that comes in the commentaries. But earlier on, in many of the suttas, the Buddha talks about loving kindness, compassion, um, and so on. It's, uh, it's, it's done very differently, and um, it talks about being um, imbued with this quality of, of compassion or kindness or joy, and there's this boundless um, expression of it to all the world, to the four corners, which is a very traditional way of saying north, south, east, west, above and below, and I just want to read a little piece um, from the sutta, and it says, one of the suttas, it says, with a mind of compassion, one pervades one direction, the second direction, the third direction, that's as I was saying, up, down, northwest, east, south, completely and everywhere in the whole world with a mind that is boundless and unlimited, that is without aversion or anger, without the hindrances, and, at e and naturally at ease, being pervaded with this mind of compassion, one has gained gladness and joy. And the mind becomes straight. It's not like drawn over in a million different directions. It's, it's, it's calm. There's gladness and joy. So when we can sit with joy, uh, excuse me, yeah, um, metta, loving kindness, friendliness, compassion, there's a joy that arises in that too. Um, really important to recognize that the Buddha is pointing to joy, pointing to joy, pointing to joy. When you're following this path, when you're moving in this way that's wise and skillful, it's this natural arising. And there's there's three qualities that um, I saw this. Oh, I think this I, James Barras. Who's a teacher up in, um, I think he's in Berkeley, but he teaches at Spirit Rock a lot. And he's done a course for the last many years, over 10 years, maybe 15 years, called Awakening Joy. And it's really good. And I, I've done it. I'm, I'm trained in it. And it's really 
full-on dharma. So he even teaches a course on awakening joy, but he talks about three things that joy, in joy there's this flavor of authenticity. And what that means to me is living with an undefended heart, this willingness to be open to the world. Because when we shut ourselves off, when we say no to joy, we're putting up a wall. When, we're, when, we're, when we can't see joy, it's because we're blocked in some way. We, we have a fixed idea of how it should be this way, it should be that way, it should be the other way. But instead, the invitation is to just be open, be authentic, be real. Allow the joy to be there when it's there without you know, the judging, critical voice that can tend to show up. When there's joy, there's this sense of aliveness, this sense of being in the world, present for whatever is there, you know, awake to the moment. And then there's this sense of connection. We are, as, as Thich Nhat Hanh coined the term, in this place of interbeing. We're connected with everything else in the world. It's... Um, it sometimes um, seems like a nice thing to shut ourselves off and move into a closet because we think it would be um, easier that way. At least that's how where my mind goes. If I just lived in a closet, I wouldn't have to worry about all this other stuff. But um, I've tried that in my own way. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work because I always have to come out of the closet at some point. And... Um, so just to be willing to recognize that connection, there's no more isolation when you recognize the connection and recognizing that we're all part of this. We're all part of the human, con we all experience the human condition. We all go through this. We all have um, um, pain. We all have suffering. We all are going to lose um, everything we love. All we have are our actions. We're all going to die that shared humanity, there's a sense of joy that can arise because there's a sense of connection that arises. So those are um, really, really important, I think, qualities to remember or part. There's an authenticity and aliveness and a connection when you're, when you're in this place of joy or that, that allows joy to arise. And um, when we do this path, when we follow, you know, the Eightfold Path and the... and um, live an ethical life as, as the Buddha has laid out, there's a natural arising of this joy. But because we are all conditioned beings and we have all grown up in a society that tells us we should be a certain way or we shouldn't be a certain way or we should think this way or not that way and there's all kinds of um, experiences of oppression and all kinds of um, racism and misogyny and, um, you know, homophobia and all this stuff that people are dealing with and, and mu on multiple lever levels, it's really challenging. And so it's beneficial to also cultivate joy. And so what I want to do is I want to go through some of the steps that James lays, lays out in his Awakening Joy class because they are they're solid dharma. And um, really, really helpful. And the first one is to set an intention to bring uh, towards joy. I mean, it seems so simple, but to allow the idea of joy into your life, make the decision 
that you're going to allow joy in is powerful. Until we acknowledge something, even if it's like, I don't know how I'm going to get there, just acknowledging that, oh, I might want to move in that direction is, is really helpful. And then to see what gets in the way, what arguments come up. Bre- um, Brene Brown in, I forget which book, I can't remember which book it is, she talks about foreboding joy, which gets in the way of happiness. And foreboding joy is this recognition that um, things are impermanent and that this joy will end at some point. And therefore, I don't want to experience it because I don't want it to end because I don't want to have to deal. And so I'm just going to avoid it. I, I think it's safer that way when what that is is a denial of reality so watch the things that get in the way you know and and reframe how you move through life and be willing to say yeah i i'm i'm willing to i'm willing to feel it when it's here you know or some of the stuff i mentioned earlier how can i be joyful when there's so much so much um horror in the world all we can do is be with our own reality and not deny our reality. My, I'm, I live in, a, I'm in Burbank, and I have a home and 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 some stability in my life, and um, I'm really, really grateful for that. And joy comes into my life, and um, you know, I do what I can with what I have, but um, I can't deny my reality, and that's really, really important. And it also recognizing that. People who are in dire circumstances do have joy in their lives. We can't, we can't paint people and say, oh, you live in this certain way, therefore you can't possibly have joy in your life. That's also um, wrong view. So to, to, to set an intention to have joy and bringing mindfulness in, of course, we have to pay attention. Mindfulness is um, a key to so much of this. Uh, this kind, gentle awareness of what's happening, being present for our life, you know, and noticing when there's a craving, noticing if there's a lack, you know, noticing when some of these hindrances pop up. Oh, I want that. I don't want that. You know, paying attention and making the effort to come back 101 times, you know, 102 times, 103 times, 1,001, 2,001. Um, Really be willing to pay attention. Another one that is so important, and I this is because it's so important, not just in cultivation of joy, but it really has a beneficial beneficial impact on the brain, is the practice of gratitude. Really important. It's a very direct way to access well-being, to practice gratitude. You know, um, cultivating the heart practices helps to, to support this idea of gratitude. Because when we're not grateful, it's, it's often because we're coming from a place of lack that I don't have, which is what underlies that is craving. I want, I want, I want. Can you be grateful? I remember in my life being told to be grateful or thinking about gratitude. like, And somebody would say, I was so disdainful people say well be grateful for the ability to breathe in and out be grateful for the ability to walk and I'd be like I'd be so dismissive and go so what you know blah 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 this is what's wrong and and that's like that's like crazy upside down thinking 
But sometimes we're that we get to that place and it's like, whoa, what if I couldn't breathe? I mean, we saw this so in our face, especially the first year of the pandemic. People were, you know, it was really, really people those people who were intubated would have given anything to be able to breathe, you know? So to watch that dismissiveness and to cultivate and be, again, what's in the way of gratitude, you know, and say yes. It's like, what can you, spring, I'm, I walk through, I walk down the block and, and those flowers, and yesterday was the most gorgeous full moon, absolutely gorgeous full moon last night, and it'll probably be gorgeous almost full moon again tonight, so, except it's cloudy, but it's still, anyway. Um, so gratitude and finding joy in difficult times. I think I've, I've spoken this, to this a little, recognizing that it doesn't have to be, we don't have to wait, postpone our joy till everything's perfect because when is that going to happen? Never. Nothing's always, you know, everything's not going to be perfect. We live in a society that tells us not yet, not yet. You still have to accomplish more. You still have to accomplish more. But to be willing to say, no, even in this difficult moment, I can find some ease. That's what mindfulness brings us to, this moment-by-moment -moment awareness. You know, I, I mentioned the, you know, well, the five remembrances. We're all going to get sick, grow old, and die. Um, I love the idea. It's like, not if, but when. You know, not if, but when. This is going to happen to all of us. All we have are our actions. You know, we're not going to, when we accumulate that last prize, then we can be happy. You know, when I think about billionaires who are continually growing their money, and it's like, when are you going to have enough money? How many billions do you need? That, that's, that's a bizarre concept to me that continual increasing, increasing, increasing. It's, it's a legacy of our capitalism. Um, so this joy in difficult times, letting go of the second dart that, you know, takes something and blows it up and makes it worse and intensifies it. Instead, can we be, greet the moment? This doesn't mean acquiescing to, to, to harm that's being caused. That's really important to recognize. It doesn't mean um, acquiescing to, to, to uh, people uh, caught up in greed or hatred or delusion. It means saying, this is the way it is right now. Sometimes I can do something about it, sometimes I can't, but how can I be present with the, the experience of the moment? So important. And going along with that, um, one of the aspects of joy, and I, po I pointed to this a little bit, is, you know, living ethically. And so there's this idea, the bliss of blamelessness. When we can live with integrity, when we can live with integrity, there's a lot more ease that can be had. If we're out there you know, causing harm and doing things that we um, find a little shady. It's like, it gets a little cringy. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's difficult to find joy when we're um, feeling remorse or shame about the things we've done. And there's a line from um, the Buddha, uh, some of the suttas, this is a, 
a casual translation says, for one who leads a virtuous life, it is a natural law that remorse will not arise. For one free of remorse, it is a natural law that gladness will arise. For one who is glad at heart, it is a natural law that joy will arise. So if we make a commitment to live ethically, not, you know, the five precepts, not causing harm, not intentionally taking a life, being wise and careful with our speech, not taking what's not offered, um, being wise with our sexuality, um, not taking things, ingesting things that lead to heedlessness. Really, it, it um, and being willing to let go of those things that do cause harm that we practice, whether to ourselves or others, it's uh, a lot easier to be at ease. So watching, investigating the unwise action that we do do, those ways that we do get caught up in causing harm, whatever it is, even if it's as simple as, as talking shit to ourselves. You know, watch how you talk to yourself, that critical voice that, oh, you dumbass, whatever it is. That's my old, that's my old go-to, um, which I haven't said in years. Because I, I was willing to let go of that. Because it's not wise speech. And it doesn't feed joy. How, if, you, if you think you're a dumbass, how can there be joy? So you just eliminate that. It's not necessary. It's old, 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 old stuff. And then um, be willing to let go. Be willing to let go. Um, there's a... Uh, I mentioned Bhikkhu and Alio. I, I sat, I've sat three retreats with him in the last year. It was a series of retreats. And the, the one in November, the last one was last week, the one in November, um, he was talking about letting go. And he, if you don't know him, he's a scholar. He's written many, 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 many books. Some, somebody will ask him a question and he'll say, oh, yes, I wrote a book on that. Uh, very academic, very wise and, he's, and he translates, translates from Pali, he translates from Chinese, so he reads all of this stuff in the original. And he says, you can take all the teachings of the Buddha and summarize them in five letters. L-E-T-G-O. Let go. Let go of what we're holding on to, you know? So much, our, our ideas of shoulds and coulds and woulds, our story. Philip Moffat, I remember in one of his books, he talks about give up being the star of your own movie. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. Quit making an I, me, and my out of everything. Be willing to just be. What is that? I had a friend who used to say, be a human being, not a human doing. You know, just be. And the cultivation of generosity helps with letting go as well. You know, that willingness to um, just be. Whatever it is, generosity of, of stuff or time or just lending an ear. Practice letting go. Renunciation. Renunciation in the way of letting go of what doesn't cause, what gets in the way of, of ease and contentment. And then moving into some maybe challenging ones. The next couple are the sweetness of loving ourselves and the joy of loving others. This cultivation of loving kindness and, and compassion for ourselves, which can be difficult, but it's unconditional. And um, 
joy for the good fortune of others. You know, mudita, this boundless compassion and kindness. Like I read from the sutta, the the boundless uh, loving kindness for all beings, all directions, north, east, south, west, above and below, all beings. There's a joy in unconditional love. There's an absolute joy in unconditional love when we can when we can let go of the agenda, when we can let go of our preferences and move through the world with an undefended heart. It allows us to just have this. There, there's a line I love that says, wear the world as a loose garment. We're not holding on to anything. There's a, an openness. And then cultivating compassion. Not being overwhelmed by it, like a bhikkhu bodhi says, we don't we don't fall into despair, but we we actually hope for the ending of suffering for all beings. We wish for the ending of we can be be present and open in the face of suffering, but also have a desire for the end of suffering, you know, and have a care for the world, and then and then just. Find some joy just in being. I love the phrase, the joy of being. You know, relaxing the mind. I don't know if you noticed it when I offered the instruction during the meditation to relax the body, relax the mind. Relaxing the mind. It's like that's a, that's a way of letting go of the to-dos and the shoulds and the woulds. And, and just being with. And, and there's a sense of equanimity that's, again, one of the awakening factors. It's the seventh of the awakening factors when you let go of the hindrances and, and move into this place of joy and um, tranquility and, and collectedness of mind. There's this equanimity, this balance that you don't get sucked into anything. Um, and there's another piece in here uh, that um, James wrote in the book. And talking about this place of being, you can drop into this relaxed, effortless presence at any time while listening to music, soaking in a bath, meditating, sipping a cup of tea. It can happen in the midst of energetic activities like swimming, biking, singing. It happens when we invite it in and stand in awe at the miracle of being alive. It happens when we set aside the judging mind that separates us from the moment. And it arises when we realize we have nowhere to go but here. Just be. Just be. There's a joy just in being. And so I just want to close with the idea of the three things, you know. Incline the mind. Mind follows mind, you know. Live, live with integrity, and, and be with the gladness that just arises from, from just being. And then, no, I lied. I'm going to close with this. It's, it's, it's from Rick Hansen, who wrote Buddha's Brain. And, where, and that's where I got the idea of gratitude being really beneficial for the brain. Um, when you are not hungry or threatened or in pain, your brain's natural state has these characteristics. It is conscious, calm, contented, caring, and creative. There's a calm, contentedness, tranquility that arises when you're not in this place of...
So just be. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your kind attention, and I hope this was of some benefit. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.